the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 4. This morning, I'll be reading in just a few moments our text found in verse 18, beginning in verse 18 down through verse 22. Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 22. Trust that you brought your Bibles with you or you have them on your smartphone, smart people on smartphones. If you don't have a Bible, make sure you let us know. We'll get you one. The words will be ahead of you on the screen in just a few moments so that everyone can focus on the Lord and his word this morning. Let me, let me say this. Let me thank you for being a singing church. Um, you have blessed my heart uh, Matt, thank you and the rest of the worship team for leading us just to sing out loud. Um, it drowns out the, the, the bad voices, <laughs> but that's okay. I, I, I just love to sing loud. It sounds horrible, but I just love to sing loud. When we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we'll be on tune. I'll be on tune with you guys. <clears throat> um, we continue on in our little series here, Ecclesia, in regards to... Uh, Uh, the purpose and the power of the local church. Consider this question as we dive in. We'll pray in just a moment. Why are you here this morning? Why are you here this morning? There are a lot of places that you could be. Why are you here? My mom told me that I have to come to church. That's why I'm here. I want you to pause and ponder this question. Why are you here? Hopefully through the end of this text, This message, you'll have an answer to that question. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we commit and dedicate our time to the Lord this morning? Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for another day you've gifted to us in your grace. I thank you, Lord, for the the joy of singing and the, the delight of, of hearing voices that are lifted up together. Lord, our focus is, is not on the hectic past week or the busy week to come. Our focus right now is on you. And Lord, with the swirling, the thousand swirling thoughts that are going on through our mind and in our head, I would pray, Lord, that, that you would capture us. You'd literally capture captivate our attention. And may we pause for a few moments. May we hear together, why are we here? What, what are we doing as a local church? And how are we doing? Father, I just pray that your spirit would work amongst us. Please, Lord, use me as a vessel, however you see fit. I plead for your help and your guidance over these next few moments that the attention would be on you, that these words would be for your glory and yours alone. Father, I I pray for uh, my brothers in this community, uh, fellow pastors that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would ask that you would be alongside of them, that we together would understand the place um, that we are called to minister, that we can lean on one another, and that we would uh, be an encouragement to one another. Father, I I pray for our community, where there's many around us, there's many that we talk to, we know, we live alongside, that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. God, I would pray very specifically that this week you would 
align and arrange opportunities for us to speak the words of the gospel to those in this community. Help us to be obedient to what your word calls us to do. We ask this in a precious and powerful son's name, the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, so far in our little series, uh, we have looked at a couple promises that Jesus gave to us um, regarding the ministry, specifically within the context of the local church, as far as who we are and what we are called to do. Uh, We looked a couple weeks ago from Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and Jesus says this, I will build my church. I will build my church. In, In a sense, we rest and we trust in the fact that our advancement for the gospel isn't necessarily our burden but it's a blessing that God promises that he will move us forward. He says, I will build my church. Last week, we looked at another promise from John chapter 14. Jesus says what? I will come to you. It speaks about the power of the local church. It's, it's not our power. It's the power ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually said, it's to my advantage that I leave When I leave, the Holy Spirit will come, and he is the power that literally exists inside of us, inside of this church. Today, I want to look at a third promise that Jesus gives. This one is from Matthew chapter 4, and it says this, I will make you fishers of men. The task of the local church is determined not by us. Okay, we don't figure out, like, what, what, what should we do as a church? What's a good idea? No, no, the task is given to us from the Lord. We get this directly in our text. I want to dive right into it and read that for you now. Matthew chapter 4, let's pick it up in verse 18. Read down through verse 22. Here it is, the word of the Lord. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, speaking of Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother. And they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20, immediately, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on, From there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. This scene takes place very, very early in Jesus's ministry. He is putting his team Together. Remember, the, remember the team we talked about, kind of the, the ragtag bunch uh, that Jesus put together last week? We talked about the fact that based upon appearance, okay, based upon experience, they would not necessarily be considered an all-star lineup. But thankfully, by God's grace, he defies the odds. Jesus is not only calling his disciples here, setting his team up, but he's also telling them what they're going to be doing, that they as well will be part of the disciple-making process. As they follow Jesus, they're going to encourage others to follow them as well. This is a first glimpse, not just of the ministry of evangelism, telling people about Jesus, 
but also what? The ministry of discipleship, teaching people about Jesus. So here's the scene for us. Here's the setting. Jesus is walking along the shore of Galilee. It's not really a sandy beach. It's more of, it's more of a rocky. There's, there's small pebbles alongside the beach. And he sees these rough and tumble fishermen, two sets of brothers. First, it's Peter and Andrew, and they're actually throwing their nets over the side of the boat, probably not too far from the shore, a net that's probably 15 to 20 feet. They throw it over. It's weighted. The the net would, would gather together, and they would row or sometimes hope that the wind would blow their little sails along so they could literally just catch the fish within. And Jesus calls out to them. Probably had to yell it at some level because there's a distance of water. They're out in the water fishing. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. The, the word picture that Jesus uses here is ingenious. It's clever. It's creative because what? He's talking their language. It gets their attention because why? They are fishermen. Now, I am not a fisherman. Some of you enjoyed uh, the art of, of being an angler of rod and reel. So, so I had to study up on this a little bit. My knowledge, bear with me, is limited, but I'll try. This is what I learned. This is what I know for certain about fishermen. Fishermen catch fish. That's, that's what I've learned in my study so far about what fishermen do. Now, there, there's, the whole, there's the whole fishing line and fishing pole and the hook. and the bait, but, but that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about the, the mode of fishing from first century Middle Eastern Palestine, and they fish with nets. Jesus uses a word picture, a metaphor here, but he also uses a paradox. Why? Because fishermen usually fish for fish, not men. So Jesus is, in essence, saying, follow me, come with me, and I'm going to show you something Follow me, I'm going to teach you something that's totally different you've ever done before. It's totally unique. As a matter of fact, it's it's more important than any fishing that you have ever done in your entire life. This is something bigger than catching fish. This is about catching men. Souls are within men and women. Fish are soulless creatures. So God, in a sense, is talking about his kingdom is is based on its eternal perspective. And you're going to focus on that which is of eternal importance or impact. But not only are you going to follow me, but there's a condition here. It says you must leave your nets. You must drop what you are presently doing in order to follow Jesus. So we have this concept here of what I call following and fishing. Certainly, it includes the ministry of evangelism, telling people about Jesus. But after you you catch the fish, what do you do with the fish? After you catch the fish, you got to clean the fish. So it's not just evangelism. It's discipleship together as we are followers of Jesus. It's an early snapshot of what Christians, followers of Christ, ones like Christ do. It's an early snapshot of what we as a church do. We started with the question, why are you here? Like, like why? Why'd you get up this morning? Why'd you come here? 
sing songs. It's more than that. It's about sharing the message of the gospel, making disciples. We know that a disciple is defined specifically as a person who believes in and disseminates, or what? Scatters and spreads the teachings of the master. Literally within the definition of the word disciple, it says this, one of Christ's followers. We have a very, very simple definition of discipleship that we use oftentimes. You'll hear this around big woods, okay? It's not complicated, but a very simple definition of discipleship is what? And you can write this down, following me as I follow Jesus. That's what discipleship is. Just follow me as I follow Jesus. A simple definition of what discipleship is. The Apostle Paul kind of, what, gave us in many ways the wording for this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Or the New International Version words it like this, follow me, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is really what we are called and we are commissioned to do as a local church. If you go to our marching orders, the the great commission, the command that we are given as a church, it says what? You go and you make disciples. Why are you here? We're here together as a church with a single purpose, we know that we do everything for the glory of God, and the way we glorify God is to make disciples. Which means that we gather and we, what, we have a cup of coffee together. And that's wonderful. But we're not actually here to drink coffee. It's wonderful. I, I love coffee. We're, 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 we're not really just here just to shake hands and slap one another back and tell you, man, you are an amazing guy. Good to see you. That, that should happen. But that's not the purpose. That's not why we are here. We we are not here just to be kind to one another. We're not here just to become better people. And we come here so that we'll think good thoughts. Hopefully those things happen, but that's not the reason that we're here. We're not here just to catch up on news in one another's lives. Hopefully that should happen. We're not here just to hear cute stories or or have fun together or be warmed and, and filled That should be happening, but that's not the reason that we are gathered. We're not here to talk about felt needs, renewal targeting and growth paradigms and assimilation strategies. Hopefully, at some level, we have to talk about how we're feeling and about how we're going to assimilate people into the body of Christ, but that's not the only reason that we're here. Can I be blunt? Can I be honest? I I know this sounds... It may sound at some level kind of harsh or, or even Spartan-like. But let, let me remind you, we are all about the destination. We are not about the journey. There's joy in the journey, understand. There's also hardship. There's also heartache in the journey. So as we gather together, while we're here, we are all about the destination. We're all about where we're going. How do we do this? We, we know first and foremost, whatever we do, whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. Um, the way that we primarily glorify God through what the context of the local church is what? Following Jesus and teaching other people to do the same. So this is not, this is not really difficult. 
This is not complicated. We glorify God by following Jesus, and we must teach other people to do the same. That is our priority. Challenge is what? Is that we allow a lot of other things, a lot of other uh, distractions to get in our way of doing that. It's no doubt that we live in what is referred to as an age of consumerism. Have you, have you visited the, um, what's it called? The, the sunflower seed aisle in, in, in the store before? The sunflower seed aisle, you know, there's an aisle. I don't know, I don't know if it's seven or eight. It's probably seven or eight. I don't know. And and when we were young, there was like sunflower seeds. They were dried and they were salted. And like that was your choice. You went, have you have you checked out the sunflower seeds recently? Some years ago they added, somebody had the idea of ranch sunflower seeds, and it was like, wow, this is amazing. And then they added barbecue. And we kind of paused there for a while, and we had salted, we had ranch, and we had barbecue. And now what has happened? There's like an explosion in the, in the sunflower seed aisle. Get this. There is dill pickle. There's sizzling bacon. There's jalapeno. There's, there's sea salt. There's like a thousand flavors and choices that are out there. And that's just sunflower seeds. I won't even get into the Oreo story at this point. You know what has happened is that this consumer, there's nothing wrong with choices, okay? There's nothing wrong with flavors, mix it up. But the idea is that we've taken this consumer mindset, particularly within the context of the local church, and people are like, let's just give them what they want, whatever flavor that they want. And in order to do that, they're missing the basic, the primary task of making disciples, there's a, there's a growing long list, and there's nothing wrong with the biker church that exists out there. There's biker churches. Like, if you don't come on a bike, you're not welcome. There's nothing wrong with that. My concern is, is what happens if somebody comes in a car? What, what, what about the trucker church or the cowboy church? Or now there's the millennial church. I'm sorry, but what about, what about the little old ladies? Like, where do they go to church? You, you understand the focus is not on what we want. Like, this is us, and we hang with everyone in our little box. No, it's not about that. The, the church of Jesus Christ is designed to be a beautiful, eclectic blend. And we see that, that older teach younger, older women teach younger women, older men teach. You can't just be hanging in your own little posse because you like to what? We all go on our bikes, so, so what, what has happened is that we have to keep the priority, the focus. We, we don't have to redesign this. We don't have to remake what God's instruction for us is as a local church. I read of one grow, uh, church growth expert. He says this. He said, today's church is incapable of responding to the present moral crises. It must reinvent itself or face virtual oblivion by the mid-21st century. So, so, so the idea is, is that what has existed for the past 2,000 years apparently isn't going to work any longer if we're going to stay on the cutting edge. Personally, I like John MacArthur's retort to that particular comment, and he says this, and I quote, Do you mean to tell me that the church 
The, the church of Jesus Christ designed and ordained at the council of a triune God before the world began, bought by the precious blood of the Lamb of God, nurtured and indwelt by the Spirit of God, and promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, is facing obsolescence, is in danger of getting old, of wearing out, or winding down, end quote. Oh, the church, the church, oh, I had a good run. It was a good idea for a while, but it, but it wasn't quite good enough. I don't think so. We follow, we hug tight, we hold on to the model that is given to us in the pages of Scripture. We cannot leave the pages of Scripture regardless of how wild and crazy the world is around us. Danger is when people choose to leave the pages of God's word and, and want to redesign. That's when we miss out what God has store for us. People, people, people don't redesign. They don't remodel. Not, not, not as far as why we're here, the purpose and the power that exists in the local church. The word of God and the spirit of God are the only sources that determine the direction that the local church is to go. I say that again, it's the word of God and the spirit of God. The only two sources that determine what we do and how we are to do what we are called to do. What, what the shepherd determines where the sheep will go. The shepherd determines. It's amazing with Jesus as the master communicator that he was. Not, not only did he use fishing analogies that identify with fishermen, but he also used farming analogies that identify and connect. In John chapter 10, he says this, I am the good shepherd, using the analogy of a sheep and a shepherd. And he says this, he says in verse four, his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Isn't that interesting? That you don't drive sheep, that in a sense, what? The shepherd leads and the rest of the sheep follow. That's what we are to do. We follow, we listen to the good shepherd, the great shepherd. Therefore, we need to know his voice. We need to know his word. If, if, if the shepherd says, follow, then we follow. The shepherd says, fish, then we fish. The shepherd says, go and make disciples, then we will go and make disciples. It, it's, it's, it's who we are. It's, 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 it's why we gather to disseminate the good news of Jesus Christ. Teach others and tell others what? As I'm following Christ, you follow me. That's so hard for some people. It's bold because you're like, well, I don't have this like perfect, I don't have this perfectly down. It's okay. We're, we're, we're following and we're watching the one that does have it perfectly down. How important is this for the church? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian, says this. He says, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. It can't, ha- it can't, it can't be like that. It can't happen. So the idea, the emphasis that Jesus Christ is making to his listeners, to his followers, is what? Focus on other people. So that's what we as a church, we must learn to focus on other people. Jesus is saying, teach other people about me. That's why we're here. Why are we here today? Yes, we love to sing songs. That's not the reason that, that we're here. 
We're, we're, we're to lift up the name of God and glorify the name of God and worship the name of God. Why? So that we will tell others and teach other people about who Jesus is. So much of the church has been trained to think like, I like this flavor, I like this style, and so I'll go to this church. No, it's not about, I know I sound like a broken record on that and I don't want to be annoying, but it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and it's about other people. A couple months, another one of my nephews will soon head off to basic training. Um, He's going to officer candidate school, but he still has to go through um, basic training in the United States Air Force. And I remember listening to a guy, he told the story of when he went through basic training. His name was Mark Barker. And, and he talks about the fact on the very first day of basic training, he was running an obstacle course. And he ran the obstacle course. And he completed the obstacle course, number one. He completed the obstacle course far ahead of everyone else. Got to the end of the obstacle course, and he is faced by what? A, a screaming drill sergeant in his face. And literally, he yells at him. He says, where are your buddies? Where are the other guys? He, he said, Mark Barker said, he goes, well, they're back there. He said, I won. I'm number one. He said, it's not about winning here. He said, it's what? Everyone finishes. You go back you run the whole course again and you help every single person who is struggling along the way because everybody finishes, not just one guy. So what, what happens in that little picture? In a moment, the guy goes from being a lone competitor, like we won, I won, to what? To, to a person who has to be concerned about, a person who must care about others as they are struggling alongside, and in the journey. You realize that's what, that's what discipleship is all about. Teaching people who are struggling in life about Jesus. Teaching people who are struggling in life about Jesus. Jesus spoke to his followers and he called them just as he calls us today. To follow his example, and what does Jesus do? We know in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he, he talks about the fact that you need to repent and you need to believe. We're, we're to speak into people's lives. And when we meet them along the journey and they're struggling, we have to tell them the importance of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus said. Jesus himself says, repent, turn from the ways and, and, and the way that you're living and believe in the gospel, the good news. We follow Jesus' example in what? Building into other people's lives, leading them to maturity. And part of that great commission, Matthew 28, Jesus says what? You teach, people to be- you teach people to obey everything that I have commanded. Which means that you're going to enter life with them at some level. You're going to meet them in their struggles. You're going to teach them over a period of time everything that Jesus taught. You love your neighbors. You give more care and concern for others than you do yourself. That's what, that's what Jesus taught. We also equip them to transform the world by making disciples who will do exactly the same. It's very clear as far as what we are called to do as a church, but the, 
the, the tension preaching calls us to examine and ask the question, are we doing that? This church, local church, we, we can't speak and we're not pointing to other churches. We're responsible for what happens in here. Are we doing what God has called us to do? Are, are you, specifically as part of the body of Christ, are you bringing others along? Specifically, you've had to go back to the guy who stumbled and is stuck to get him and, and, and teach him and journey with him. Are you doing that? This morning, will you commit to do that? That's really the challenge that we have before us. I've been convicted this week. The, the fact that what we have many, many, many people that are very, very busy, and we fully understand that. We have many programs that are very active. Many parts of this church and many part of all churches are working to do worthwhile and worthy things. But, as Robert Coleman says and asks the question, are our efforts to keep things going, fulfilling the great commission of Christ. Years ago, years ago, I read a little tiny book. It was called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. And he's bang on when he asked that question. He asked another one. He says this, do we see an ever-expanding company of dedicated people reaching the world with the gospel as a result of our ministry? But let me go back. Robert Coleman asked the question in the book, Master Plan of Evangelism, it's what we do. And he asked the question, do we see an ever-expanding company of dedicated people reaching the world with the gospel as a result of our ministry? Oh, oh, how we would love, we would even long for people to come to Jesus and joyfully live for him. But oh, our, our schedules are, are so full. We, we are really maxed. We, we, we attend, certainly. We, we got that down. We got the route to church down. We know what door we're coming in. We know what parking spot we're going to have. We attend. We help out. We listen to. Maybe even we talk about. Like, yeah, look, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk. My concern is, is that many still do not get wet. Many do not commit. And in those moments, in those quiet moments where we listen to the Holy Spirit, even now, where we, we need to be asking, are we getting the job done? Are we making disciples? Are we making disciples who will change the world? People, the day is quickly coming. The day is quickly coming in which we, all of us, will be standing at the end of the obstacle course of life. And thankfully, we will not be met by a screaming drill sergeant. Praise God for that. But I tell you what, we will be met. We will be met by an all-knowing, an all-powerful, and an all-loving, holy God. And it will not be enough to say like, or as a Mark Barker, I'm here, I won. No, no, that's not going to cut it. 
he's going to ask, well, who, who'd you bring with you? you? You walked by people that were struggling and stumbling. Who did you bring with you who was struggling along the course? Who did you tell? Who did you teach about me? It's interesting as we prepare for a transition, simple physical transition. I have been involved in, in, in several meetings over the months the past months, closely examining our ministries as a local church, our recovery ministry that meets on Thursday evenings. I've been involved in meetings with women's ministry and men's ministry and youth ministry and our home groups. And we ask the questions, okay, what, what is needed? What do we have to correct? How do we improve? How do we adjust? Let me tell you this, every single meeting, every single, I'm not exaggerating, returns to exactly the same subject. Every single meeting returns to the same subject. The need for people to come alongside of other people, follow them as they're following Jesus. That's what's needed. Like, what do we need in this ministry? We need more people who are willing to what? Reach out and grab the person who is stuck stuck in a sin. It's dark for them. It's discouraging for them. They need someone. They're pleading for someone. It's not just, I love to sing. It's not just us about gathering to sing and slap one on the back and say, you're amazing. That's just, it's, there's more to it than that. The need, and I am not exaggerating, the need, it's a need is a great one. Now we know in that, in that connection, in that relationship, in that telling of others about Jesus, and, and, and what follow me as I follow, we know the word of God must be present. I have, nothing to, I have nothing to tell people apart from what? To lead them to this book. But, but that's, it's all there. It is the answer to every problem, the solution. The answer to every question, the solution to every problem, it's, it's there. We know it includes the word of God. Trust the work of the spirit of God in your own life. I could never do this. I, just, I don't know what to say. And like I freeze up. No, no, no. Listen to this. I want you to listen to this. Write this down, okay? You read this this week. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 12 and verse 12, where we trust the work of the spirit of God. I love this. I have, I have so desperately relied upon this over years in ministry. Luke chapter 12, verse 12 says this, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Luke chapter 12, verse 12. Yeah, I don't have any idea. I have been called into some of the most horrific situations in the middle of the night. And as I'm driving to the hospital or driving to a person's house, in my mind, I'm like, I have nothing. Like, I have nothing to say. I pull into a driveway. I have nothing to say. And I walk up the little, the little walkway. I have nothing to say. And I knock on the door. I have nothing to say. And the door opens. And the Holy Spirit, at that moment, gives the reminder that all comes out of my mouth is that we love you praying for you and let's pray because because i i don't we don't have it you don't need to have it trust that what the holy spirit is going to give you everything that you need and at the moment the moment the urgency the need is now 
He doesn't look any better than this. In my office, um, I have a clock, an old clock. It belonged to my grandfather. Actually, it belonged to Wendy's grandfather. And it's a broken clock. Like, why, why did you have a broken clock? Years ago, I had that clock set so that it reads one minute to midnight. One minute to midnight. And I've left it there. And every single time I see that, I think about, that's it. That's, I, I, like, at any moment, it's over. Like the end, and we're standing before the Lord. And, and we understand that, what, if we go back to the model of the, of the local church in the book of Acts, we saw what the Holy Spirit did. We saw how the Holy Spirit gave Peter words that were at that very moment, and, and he preaches and this is the guy who's like stumbling and fumbling along as a, as a fisherman. And God empowers him. And that little group of 120 people, it says that 3,000 people respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they come together. They bind their hearts, their lives together. They devote themselves to, to four primary objectives that we see must be included in the local church. It says that they, what, in Acts chapter 2, they committed to teaching, to fellowship, to the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. All those parts... Or what, what, what discipleship looks like within the context of the local church. That's all it is. Teaching, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. Come together. There's no, there's no fancy building. doesn't have to be. There's no bishop and bylaws and board members. No, no. It, it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They just dug into the word. The New American Standard says it like this. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Some of you are f- more familiar, some of you are more familiar with whatever the popular Netflix series is. And you know the characters and the storyline better than the word of God. That's, that's, I believe, as a church where we need to continue steadfastly studying and searching the apostles' doctrine. In Acts chapter 2, by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, it says we read what? The word of God spread, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The word spread and the disciples were multiplied. The word spread and disciples were multiplied. There was more and there was more and there was more. It's recorded, it went from 120 people to 3,000, to 5,000. It is estimated by the end of the first century in the city of Jerusalem, there are more than 150,000 followers of Jesus Christ. Talk about a mega church, 150,000 followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. By, by just what? By making a commitment to connect with other people along the way. Yes, we live in a culture that asks the question, what can I get? Rather than asking the question of what can I get from this church, we need to ask, you need to ask, what can I add? What can I give to this church? Rather than asking, is this the church that offers the right programs? Is this the church with the right music fit and color coordination and worship style? Rather than asking those types of questions, is this a place that I can come and pour my life into the lives of other people? Does that happen here? Is this a place that I can commit and connect to other people? 
who I know are committed. Is this a place where there is an ever-expanding company of people that are dedicated to reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let me give you very, very quickly five things in closing, five minutes at the most. Number one, commit yourself to the priority of discipleship. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning, you can't just walk back out. You can't just walk back out and say, that was really neat. No, you have to understand the importance. If you're going to be part of the church of Jesus Christ, then part of it is what? Follow me and I will make you. He will do this work. Fishers of men, evangelizing, telling people about the good news and journeying with them. Commit yourself to the priority of discipleship. Number two, pray that the Lord leads you to the right person. Okay, I understand that not every single one is going to connect and, and relate, but pray specifically. You don't have to disciple 15 people. Disciple one person. Older men to younger men, older women to younger women. Just pray, God, lead me to that right person who doesn't mean that they're a spiritual giant, doesn't mean that they even have a huge interest, but you walk alongside of them in life. Number three, walk with this person through life, showing them how to follow Jesus faithfully. Inevitably, as you are what? Walking with someone, they're going to see how you respond in tough circumstances, in hard situations. They're going to witness that. People are watching you. You're going to be careful. Make sure there's nothing that slips out of your mouth. It shouldn't. Number four, invest. Understand, this is not going to happen quickly. This is not going to happen easily. Invest your time. It's going to take time. Learn to listen. Teach people how the word of God applies literally to every single day of your life. You're struggling with a rebellious teenager. Well, God's word talks about that. Marriage struggles. Well, God's word talks about that. Struggling with anger, struggling with loss, struggling with what? Any single area. I got a wicked temper. Well, God's word talks. Go to God's word. And and trust the Holy Spirit will give you the words at that very moment. Fifthly and finally, be patient. This is a long process. Long process is not going to happen. Okay, got that guy. Check him off the box. I was amazing. He followed me. He's ready for the mission field in a week, two weeks, a month. I'm going on to the next one. It's not going to happen like that. Be patient. You realize that what? Fish stink. Cleaning fish is really not that pretty of a process. We catch them, but we need what? To trust the Holy Spirit to clean them. And that gets messy but we're committed to them. We're going to be patient in the process. God has an amazing plan, realizing that every single experience in your entire past can be used by God to connect or relate. The failures, like the absolute just blow-ups in your life, you can actually use that to connect with other people. The problems and pitfalls, the vices or the victories. What has worked in your life and what has not worked in your life. All of that can be a benefit and blessing into the lives of other people. I know inevitably, I'm just not there yet. I'm just not there yet. I still need to learn. Wonderful. Then make sure that you connect with someone who can teach you. And even as you are learning, you don't have to be a spiritual giant. You have to be one step ahead. Even as you're learning, be praying. Preparing your heart. What? 
so that you can say to someone else, follow me as I am following Jesus. That's why we are here. Father, we love you. We lay ourselves at your feet, pleading and asking for help as we learn how to be obedient and telling others about you, the good news, and also jumping in and journeying with them. Lord, help us to be a disciple-making church for your glory. In your name we pray, amen.